Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 205 is recorded live June 26, 2014. Welcome back to Scoop Up Test. I'm Darren Jilson, and joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. Hey, glad to be here. It's been a good day so far. Yeah, we've uh, kind of come out of the back end. We had a little bit of rain there. I think we've had rain every day <laughs> and a lot of fog. Fog. Now, that was at almost two full days of fog. Yeah. Now, you got up in the plane over that. Yeah, well, I was doing some uh, photos over at Pawpaw, and I took off, and I thought, if that ground fog moves any further in, I'm going to be trouble coming back. So that was when they were doing the uh, Huey rides, for uh-huh. at least we forget. Yeah. So I gave the guy a call and says, if that fog starts creeping in on the end of the runway, how about give me a shout so I can get back before it covered up the airport. <laughs> um, and the wind was coming in from the lake, but it never moved past the golf course. Well, you missed last week's show, but we had uh, we, we went through some of the comments that we had on iTunes. And one of them is that they there's a request for more Mac talking about flying. <laughs> and they wanted to know what kind of plane you had and where it was berthed, hangered. Yeah, okay. Well, for those who need to know, it's a Cessna 150. It's a 1963 straight tail. So that's what they used to use for training back in the older days. Uh, so it's basically two people, two passengers. Now, has that got one wing or two? And it, it, it's one <laughs> one wing on top that goes left and right. If if one wing goes away while I'm in flight, I'm in a world of hurt. Ouch. Unless I have my parachute on, in which case I will exit as soon as I can. And it's birthed over Benton Harbor. Benton Harbor. Rossville International, I think is one way they like to say it. They want to say it's International Rossville? That, it used to be Rossville International, yeah. But for us, it's Southwestern Michigan Regional Airport. Okay. Is there, it's for it to be international, don't they have to have a uh, an agent there to... We used to. Uh, really? Oh, yeah. Uh, when my wife used to go back and forth from, uh, to France, that's where they would catch the aircraft, and that was part of the flight from here to Chicago, Chicago to huh. wherever it went, however many stops you needed to go back in the day. So they, I'm, I'm taking it that there was a lot of international airports who had that service. Yes. I mean, we actually had a, you know, an actual control tower at one time. We don't have it now. So is there still a control tower structure? It was until last year. It was, blew over? <laughs> no, no. It's totally demolished because it didn't meet the requirements uh, of the current aspect from radar, radios, and whatever. And uh, so they demoted it, took it apart. So without a, a tower, would you just have beacons in the runway? Well, we're a non-controlled field, but we do have ILS, you can, you instrument landing facilities. Mm-hmm. And if you are a commercial flight, which we do have there, it's controlled by South Bend. I know every seems like every two years they end out some carriers considering coming into Benton Harbor as a commercial airport, but that, it never seems to happen. Now we have Fed Express and a few things like that will pop in, but uh, not regularly scheduled that you can get a flight on. Well, I did have uh, somebody from our corporate headquarters who uh, is recovering from a surgery and they didn't want to drive, so they flew in. So they that's where they landed. So they well, were here this just this week. Now that they expanded the runway and got rid of the death trap at the end, we were the poster child for the FAA for 30 years. <laughs> there was a 60-foot drop-off at the end of two-hour runway. Well, that's self-cleaning. 
Yeah, yeah, it'll get you off the runway if you crash because you no they can't see you out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. But when you'd come in that direction, you'd get some little turbulence oh, up pu- or down. Uh-huh. And that was always a little bit of a pucker factor sometime. <laughs> so I'm just glad that they moved it down and expanded the runway. And uh, now with new corporation, Torpool uses their jet here all the time. They can go international because we have a longer runway, which means you can have more fuel on board to take off. That makes sense. Well, let's go ahead and jump on into scuba news. First article up is we have conservationists oppose swimming with the whale tourism plan. This one's out of, it looks like Australia. Conservationists say they're deeply concerned about the new tourism venture on Queensland's Sunshine Coast that promotes close encounters with whales. Maluba? Was that? Mululaba? Yeah, that's pretty close. Maluba? Maluba. It's, it's like somebody just strung some or mulu Yeah, scuba diving company is in the first is the first in Australia to offer the people the chance to swim with humpbacks for the next month. Paul Hod from the Australian Whale Conservation Society says he got that he's not it, it is, is not, not the, the right, right way. way to treat endangered species. Our main concern is that people can have wonderful experience from the shore or on a boat with humpback whales. They don't need to push and push and push and put these animals under more potential stress. They're experiencing increased attention from commercial boats and private boats. What they really don't need is one more form of potential harassment to deal with. I notice they say potential because they can't say it is. Yeah. Uh, he says he's worried. These are very big animals weighing up to 45 tons or more. They're wild animals that can act quickly and predictably. Young calves can be very impulsive and mothers can be very protective. We're only concerned for whales or concerned for people and certainly that uh, insurance company looking for these operators are aware of those risks. Uh, the state government says the tour operators have to adhere to strict code of conduct and the new tourism venture has its full support. Environment Minister Andrew Powell says the plans do not contravene the laws. The laws as they pertain to swimming with whales is quite simple. As long as the swimmers enter the water no closer than 100 meters away from a whale, there's no problem whatsoever. It's then in the whale's hands to whether the whale will come towards the swimmer or not. This isn't a change of legislation at all. Legislation was significantly consulted on the two rounds of consultation over the previous two years, and the change was made over 12 months ago, so it's not anything new. It's consistent with Commonwealth guidelines around approaching wells, and therefore it certainly has the backing of the government. I really would like to see them drop me off 300 feet or 100 yards from that wheel. (laughs) You know, are we motoring? Yes. So you drop me off. How are you going to come back and get me? Well, who, you're assuming they're coming back for you. Well, I definitely want to have a safety sausage, uh, <laughs> one of my little signal devices I can call for help when you leave me out there. Well, what the, the only thing that bothers me about this, I mean, I, I agree, the, the whales are in control. You're putting yourself at the mercy of the whale when you get in the water. But what's weird is how they had, it's not a recent change, it was changed a year ago. Well, to me, that's a recent change. Yeah. So it almost sounds like somebody changed something getting ready for this. You know, I'd like they I like somebody to clarify what the change was. Well, it wasn't a problem two years ago or a year ago, so uh... you, right. So, but I want I'd, I'd like to know what it was beforehand. Me, I don't I don't I think that's pretty reasonable. I don't know if they changed the distance. Did it specifically not allow it before? You know, hundred meters. That's you know, it's it's the manatees. Yeah, it's just manatees are similar. Yeah, not that far though. And as you and you're snorkeling, you're not with scuba gear. I think they they banned scuba gear, didn't they? Yeah, I do believe they do on that one. Yeah. And if they come over to you, great. But uh, by the same token, I keep seeing these pictures where something with big teeth, bigger than mine, <laughs> grabs my arm and pulls me down to say hi to mama. I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. How long can you hold your breath? Yeah. 
Now, if we have one of those little Jane Bonds thing I put between my teeth, I'm good. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to have one of those. Explorer says he's found LaSalle's shipwreck again. But has he? This is uh, a debris field has been found in the bottom of Lake Michigan. And it may be the remains of the long-lost Griffin. Vessels commanded by the 17th century French explorer known as LaSalle, according to Shiprock Hunter, who has sought the damage for decades. Steve Liebert told the Associated Press that his crew found the debris this month about 120 feet or 37 meters from the spot where they removed a wooden slab a year ago that was protruding from the lake bottom. Liebert believes the timber was the bowsprit of the René Robert Cavalier. Cavalier? Yeah. LaSalle's uh, ship, although scientists who joined a 2013 expedition say this lab was more likely to be an abandoned fishing net stake. This is definitely the Griffin. I'm 99% sure it is, Liebert said. It's the real deal. Like I said, he could be on Murray's show. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm a thousand percent sure he's the father fifth time around. I'd like to see the debris field he's talking about. Yeah, because the video that they show that's in association with the article is the one where he had the bowsprit last year, what he thought it was. And they did have a, it looked like some type of uh, magnetometer. Uh, It would be interesting because if you do find it, you should find four cannon. And they're not like the cannon from the pirate ships, people. They're the small ones they have for repelling borders. And specifically, it's to repel pirates and or Indians, if you read the literature on it. Okay, so he's saying this is 120 feet from the spot where they removed the board last time. Wouldn't they have checked as part of their survey? I mean, do you find one board and then declare that's a ship and then... Yeah, 100 feet. I think I'd make a big search. And then again, define debris field. What else has he found that they could do the verification of aging and date on? So I'm, I'm curious about that. Good luck to him, though. If, yeah. if he finds a cannon, I'm all for him. And don't tell anybody, take it home. If the Frenchman <laughs> wanted that bad, have him come for it. <laughs> they, they come to a raid? <laughs> well, yeah, well, I can see. They'll do that. They'll have a SWAT team. They'll come there and... That's the typical control, but hey, that's another story. Our Fox News moment of the day. Uh, Just because you don't like to hear the truth doesn't make it (laughs) not. Researchers in the Antarctica celebrate the winter solstice by diving in water that's just two degrees. And that's Celsius, so it's a little colder than it sounds. Wait, no, two degrees isn't that bad. No, it's it's about 34, 35 degrees. We've done that. Come on. Yeah, I do that all the time. Now, I'm not doing it naked. Well, neither are they. Well, are they not? They no, they're not. He has a swimsuit on. Okay, and a harness. Yeah, I saw that. That was a, that was good, smart in their part. The winter solstice is the shortest day of the year. Marks the transition from longer to longer daylight hours. But for some, it holds more important than simply seeing more sunshine. The 20 people who live in the Davis Station, Antarctica, it, the midwinter is a halfway point of their stay on the continent, and they celebrate it by taking a dip in the water. The air temperature is negative 30 degrees this time of year, so the water is a balmy at 1.8. So negative 30 still has to be above zero. No. Well, negative well, 30 is that Celsius, right? Yeah, that 32 would... is zero. Yeah, but you're also, you got a bigger scale. So I'm just going to say it's about negative 10, negative 20. We could do the math, but we're not going to. In a video uh, released from the Australian Antarctic Station, station manager Nareek Campbell gives a fascinating insight to what is like on the coldest place of the earth. Yeah, look at those tracks. Those don't look really modern, do they? Look like they've been been down there for about 30 years, tracked vehicles in the back. Well, you know, the ice there was only uh, one meter thick. That doesn't even sound like there. Three the freaking that. feet. I definitely want to make sure that ladder was there because it's hard to get out of a three-foot hole. <laughs> well, especially when you're greased up. Or maybe he's not greased up. He's got tennis shoes on. He's got some uh, Bermuda shorts. He's got gloves. That's cheating. 
Yeah, but I'll tell you what, I've done that before uh, <laughs> once, never again. That hurt, but I didn't have shoes on. And my froze my freaking feet getting from the hole out, going across oh. the ice to get back to my freaking car. Yeah. And so shoes is a good deal. And that's not cheating too much. Oh, and they had uh, mats down, yeah. probably for the people who did brave it without shoes. I don't know if they did that because uh, it, it got real chilly when there's a windshield factor. Again, it's not too bad once you get over the shock. And once you're in, you're fine. But they say after that, then they show them they they build a hot tub. Now, that looks cool, and uh, no pun intended, and uh, that would be fun to be into. Yeah. I wonder if you can get into that, hop in the cold, and then hop back into this. What what does that do to you? I mean, does your blood pressure just... Oh, yeah, you're, it's not a real good thing for your blood pressure. Yeah, I, I imagine. Now, they show what's inside in the, uh, the quarters for playing around. They have a sitting area, a pool table, and then they've got a bar with probably every type of liquor ever known the man well it's antifreeze it's not liquor it's to help you <laughs> when you're out there in the cold Keep, keeps the blood flowing it's lubrication now was that on the boat or is that on their station i think i think that's the station living quarters away from friends and family because i keep seeing the boat at the bottom and i was just curious well i think that what they're trying to do to show you with the boat is that not a single ship nor vessel will be able to reach antarctica until november uh, you get, I just wonder if those are real windows or if that's artificial light with those sun oh, deprivation the, uh, lights because you sure are going to need it up for there. For sads, yeah. I need it up. I need it here in Michigan. I could just imagine what they need down there. And then Cousteau, he's passed the halfway point for breaking his grandfather's record. Fabian Cousteau is now in the second half of the 31-day underwater living experiment that he is performing off Key Largo. He went in the water on June 1st to the Aquarius Reef Base. He's about 60 feet down. He plans to stay there 32 days, which I believe will beat his grandfather's record by a day. And I think actually with the point we're at now, I think he's at the, we got one week to go point. It's interesting, but how long do you stay down on a boomer? <laughs> not that there's a comparison there because you don't have a window to look out of, but. Well, <clears throat> and then they're also, you're not, you're typically at one atmosphere. You're not open to the. That's true. Seawater. And let's keep it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're on a sub, you probably you probably don't want anything leaking in. But yeah, I you know, some of these uh underwater records are rather specific. Yeah. As to what you're going for. And then we have somebody who's on board with hunting lionfish, Jose Andres or Andres. It's probably French, so I'm pronouncing it wrong. Man of many, many talents spoke to National Geographic about his newest talent, scuba diving, and he says it's really scuba diving while hunting lionfish. He believes he's also serving the Caribbean ecosystem. As he hunts them, he says man is one of the top predators. The lionfish are doing ugly things to Caribbean's water, swimming there uninvited and unwanted. It's an invasive species with an absurdly long life, a vicarious appetite, no known predators, and as such, it's wreaking havoc on the delicate reef ecosystem. But man is the most natural predator is there. So he wants people to eat more lionfish. He says it's like tilapia, works great in a ceviche. Which I believe is kind of like uh, a pickled uh, raw fish or something. A pickled raw fish. Ceviche. Somebody's going to correct me, but I think that's what it is. And there's some video footage. When we get the show notes out, you'll be able to take a look at the video footage. Now, if we had something that would really interesting, like samples yeah. that we could taste, then we could tell people what it really what was like. Did it taste like that? Well, when I know? was in Kansas City, there was a, a <clears throat> restaurant and they had ceviche. But of all the good things in the menu, I didn't go with that. And we have sea turtles are swimming in the history, migrating from the Cocos Island National Park to Galapagos. 
Sanjay, a 117-pound male Pacific green sna snail. Turtle, boy. <laughs> that would be a big snail, wouldn't it? 117 pounds. Uh, swam from the protected water of the Cocos Island Marine National Park in Costa Rica. Crossed the, into the Galapagos Marine Reserve in Ecuador. Sanjay is the first sea turtle to corroborate preliminary genetic data suggesting many of the residents sea turtles off the Cocos Island were born on the nesting site beaches of the Galapagos Islands 400 miles south. Now why is, I mean, they make it a big deal. I mean, he's not the first turtle. It's probably been going on for... For as long as turtles have been there. Yeah, exactly. And 400 miles doesn't sound for a creature like a turtle that big of a range. That lives on the water and is over 100 years old, yeah. Yeah, and swims, so... But he got a grant to do it. So come on. He got a grant to do it, and they somebody... verified it, and somebody got their name and report. The uh, Turtle Island Restoration Network and partner organizations have tagged 101 sea turtles at the Cocos Island, with 24 with satellite transmitters, 46 with acoustic tags since 2009. The joint venture research program is documenting how endangered sea turtles and sharks use the island and Galapagos Marine Park protected areas to understand the biologic biological connectivity between the two sanctuaries so you can be a sea turtle voyeur yeah uh-huh <laughs> i know 400 miles it's huh okay good for the turtles and the secret of the disco clams light show i didn't look for the video on that so yeah. I, did you that sounds yeah. interesting yeah I, I i didn't but uh the cenotis alleys is well known to scuba divers who also call it the disco or electric clam. It has a mirror ball luminescence. Few scientists had given it much notice until Lindsay Daughtery came along. The 31-year-old integrative biologist and doctoral student at the University of California, Berkeley, says she fell in love with the clam the first time she saw one flashing at her waters at her in the waters off Indonesia. She did an underwater disco dance and decided that the spot that she would do her own doctoral research on the species. That tells you a little bit about some of those people who are doctorates out there. Yeah, I mean, I mean the uh, clam you know, California University. She starts dancing on the bottom. And yeah, you know, they maybe a little herbal assistance going on in there. I, I was uh, thinking flaky, but that's okay. Herbal assistance, probably. A journal of the Royal Society Interface. She and colleagues report that they've discovered a mechanism that causes the clam's flash. Inside the clam's lips, it turns out, is full of nanospheres of light-reflecting silica. By contrast, the outside of the lip has no silica, silica and highly light absorbent. So it furls, unfurls, creates two flashes per second, which she presented the clams with artificial predators in the lab. She saw it increase a four flashes a second. The inside lip is particularly good at reflecting blue light, perfect for the oceans. Now the question is why the clams flash at all. They may be using their flashes to attract prey, scare away predators, or even attract each other and to settle nearby. She's also interested in study of the eyes. Of sea eels? Sea eels. Each clam has about 40. Disco clam light show. Huh. I'd like to see one. Somebody wants to give me a grant, I'll go out and scuba dive with them. And if you're in Ireland, somebody's looking for you to scuba dive. One entrepreneur is requesting scuba divers to fish lakes and streams at golf courses across the country for lost golf balls. Uh, Richard Noonan 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 of uh, Encore Golf Ball says water hazards at Irish golf courses hold thousands of lost golf balls that they are a lucrative bounty for anyone with the wherewithal to recycle them. Noonan is currently sells golf balls retrieved by a dive team in Spain, but he says to himself, why get someone to do it in Spain when you can do it here cheaper? And I'm guessing maybe you can't get somebody to do it cheaper. I, I can't believe they already don't have guys getting golf balls out of the golf courses. 
The problem generally is keeping the people from getting to golf balls except the guy you hired. Yeah, yeah and so, getting an agreement because uh, you just can't walk into a golf course and grab their golf balls. They're kind of I mean, attached to them. I mean, you can even do that at night, I suppose, during the winter <laughs> you here, you know, when it's snowing the ground or something. You can but, do that. Uh, the golf balls are frogs. They're not going to really like that. I mean, there are different hazards that people don't realize when you're going around a like, golf uh, course. Like a concentrated uh, fertilizer? Oh, big time. You've got a lot of chemicals in those little ponds that people don't think about. Yeah, you've got, uh, you know, three, 400 acres of fertilized lawn that drains into two little spots. Yeah, they, they put it on in the morning. You get a rain in the afternoon. That all runs downhill right into there. At least they probably don't have alligators and things like that like they do in Florida. Yeah, they collect the balls down there. Make sure they're they're golf balls instead of alligator eggs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mommy would get mad at you. (laughs) Oh, wow. You got to get some decoys to leave back or something. Yeah, those on shore are not golf balls. He's not saying how much he's paying. Do you get a split? Uh, Well, then there's that controversy. How good are the golf balls that you leave down there? And if they're the one shot, like the guy bought them that day, loses one, so they're not dinged or cut. I'd be curious to see how long they really do last. I looked that up a little bit and I didn't find much, but I have from experience and about 10 gallons out there full of them. Yeah. Uh, I've got some out there that are just like brandy new. And if you hit them, they go like hell. Yeah. He, he and, says, uh, he says uh, it's that's being eco-friendly to recover the balls. Many of them have been hit only once or twice. He said, for example, the best ball is a pro V1 in shops and it is 94 to 95 euros for 24 balls. That's about four bucks each. Yeah. The recycled balls come in at about 47 euros for something that you found. So you just have to find 24 of them. So you're getting uh, like two bucks a ball? No, you're not. If Usually when you turn well, them the, in, it's like 10 cents each. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the, the top ball, according to him. Yeah, they're talking. Yeah. And then he's repackaging and marking them. But still, that's... And cleaning them and things like that. Yeah. Why well, get someone to do it in Spain when you do it here cheaper? Again, he's he's looking at it from an aspect of mega, meaning big, I control it. I can uh, get the contract from all the other sites. Yeah. Uh, if you get that, then you do need concentrated people to do your yeah. bidding. He is looking for experienced divers, ideally instructors or other full-time professionals looking for extra income. The idea has already sparked plenty of interest. I've got 15 applicants so far. They're all qualified, something which he admits surprises him as he put up the advert hoping for interest rather than expecting it. I wonder why he said, ideally instructors. Instructors don't have the time, generally, because they've got classes. Right. And I'm curious what the other full-time professional, what what that means. Well, it basically means he's not paying you anything. So you have to have another job to live. And this is just for, you know, the maybe beer money, if you're lucky. You're talking young and inexperienced because as you get older, you can make more money doing something else. Yeah. And then here we have World War I Underwater Heritage UNESCO Scientific Conference in commemoration. Let's define who that is for those who do not know. The United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. And you get the UN, meaning theirs, yeah. and we do what they want us to do. I'm of sorry. Of course. Of course. That's that's the point of the UN. Okay. To, to create an unelected world overlord that tells us how to live. But yeah, besides that, but what they've now done is they're declaring that uh, and it, after a comprehensive inventory of ships sunk during the First World War, remains to be drawn through the major battles and fought at sea during a conflict 
in which the belligerents also engaged in submarine warfare the first time in history. More than 10,000 shipwrecks for the first time from that time lie at the bottom of the oceans. It is known, for example, that close to 250 British ships and 850 auxiliary vessels were sunk during the conflict with their crews, representing the loss of nearly 74,000 Royal Navy seamen and 15,000 merchant Navy sailors. Hundreds of ships and nearly 200 submarines were lost on the German side. Although it's an invaluable historic resource, underwater cultural heritage of the World War I so far has been the subject of little research. It is at risk, threatened by corrosion, commercial exploration, exploitation, and plunder, and its preservation is at risk. This vulnerable heritage is about to come under the scope of UNESCO's 2001 Convention, Convention of the Protection of the Underwater Culture, Cultural Heritage. The conservation designates all traces of human existence that have cultural, historic, or archaeological character which have been partially or completely or periodically or continuously underwater for at least 100 years. So if it got wet at some point in the last 100 years, it's covered. The two-day scientific conference will bring together experts from underwater heritage from around the world, be an opportunity to take stock of the World War I underwater heritage, examine threats to the safeguard, and take the challenges of conserving large-scale metal wrecks. I like that part. Conserving conserving large metal wrecks. What about the wood ones? Who's going to pay for it? Oh, I'm sorry. That's again. Yeah. Tax on everybody. Oh, of course. By the fact they exist, you're going to have to pay them. Uh, UNESCO invites all divers, professional or amateur, to take part in a dive for Peace Day, which they will make money on. It doesn't say that, but I'm assuming, why else would they invite you to do it? Because you're no threat and you're not competition. And it has the support of diving organizations worldwide, especially the Nautical Archaeological Society from the UK, and the World Underwater Federation, of course. Not that they have a vested interest in being able to control what you do or don't do, or can pay a fee to do. Okay, they say 48 states have ratified the convention to date, undertaken to preserve underwater heritage, ban the commercial exploitation, combat traffic and looped objects. Other goal of the convention is promote exchange of information. So do where do we find a list of, you know, they just, they throw out names, but they don't say who's ratified it. And they say 48 states. Now, not to confuse with the American states, but government states, I assume they're talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was hoping that I tried to follow one of their links. I uh, like the, I like the little music they have in there from from the Beatles. Give peace a chance. That's a little nice touch. Oh, they, Brings yeah. a tear to my eye. They gotta get all choked up. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I appreciate the effort. I don't necessarily agree with it. Why do you appreciate the effort? I don't. You but don't. But then again, I'm that way. <laughs> You're a curmudgeon. Yeah, I mean a lot of you know what they say: the road to hell's paved with good intentions, and that's exactly what I think something like this is. Uh, you know, why can't you leave it up to the individual countries to police this? Why don't you just leave it alone? It's wreckage. If you wanted the damn thing, you shouldn't have sank it in the first place. Besides, it's the ocean. Yeah. Let's go back to Admiralty Law, then. If I find it, it's mine. If you wanted it, you should have got it yourself. I, you know, this to me is too recent to really have much archaeological value. I, like, you could probably find the plans for all the ships, all their cargoes that sank. Right. And if you want to go and look at something, how about World War II? Off the North Carolina, from South Carolina, Virginia up. There's tankers and well, cargo we, we ships. Blew, we and, blew it all up. It's, it's like right. if it was a navigation hazard or we thought something. I mean, there's all sorts of stories. So, I mean, where do you stop? Uh, and then we should do the same thing for Korea. And people what do you mean? Ships in Korea? Yeah. And ships in Vietnam. 
Yeah, with anything over 100 years old. Where do you stop? Well, they, they, they have no intention. And again, what about the wooden ones? Yeah, yeah, they said steel. Well, the wooden ones you're not going to find. They, they, everything talks about, I mean, maybe it's good they forget about fresh water, but it's always salt water is the, the angle. And they're not in, they don't think anything past 100 years is going to survive. Hard hat diving, it's a gas. Yeah, just don't pass gas in there when you got your helmet on and no fresh air. I'm, I'm thinking that comes from experience. I didn't say that. The basic idea is that more than 100 years old, but don't knock hard hat, hard hat diving technology. The aqualung, which was uh, flourished since the 1950s, may have pushed it into the margins, but surface-applied helmet diving is used more than people realize. And this is something I didn't realize, but they're saying cheaper new. It's often cheaper for us to buy new as traditional hard hat diving gear is still mass produced in Asia or made to order in the USA. China alone manufactures 8,000 dive helmets annually along with about 12,000 dresses, canvas suits, he says. If you're in the market for an antique helmet, these can be found on auction websites or auction houses. And if you do that, you darn well be careful what you buy because there are fakes out there that you would not believe. Yeah, I've I've heard there's a lot of forgeries. There's whole sites on uh, the Mark V, which is my favorite, that you can go out and look for the tattletale items. But some of the guys have spent the time to go find the old ones and replicate it down to the T. But those do bring a premium because they're very hard to tell aren't. You well, know, if you fakes. make a good, if you make a good quality fake, then it's is, still a fake though, but it doesn't have the history, the ambiance. Yeah, it's not the original. Uh, you can still get uh, hard hats from the company that originally was manufacturing. I'm, I believe Morris still has Morris uh, Desco Pot. Yeah, they, I think they still have some in inventory. Yeah, but, but, their, but their prices have gone up too. Oh yeah, let yeah. me tell you, inflation yeah. has struck. Yeah, uh, a 1915 Sabre Gorman dive helmet, some items of the diver's dress air pumps, restored, what new would cost, or, oh, excuse me, restored now would cost a vicinity of $15,000. So 100-year-old dive helmet, 15000 and some gear. And it's it's not something you can just take down to the local pond and play with. Yeah. you got to have support people, and that's a big drawback unless you're doing antique diving. To me, it would be an interesting fundraiser. We've done it before. Yeah, uh, we we borrowed uh, some Mark V with air pump. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did it for indoor pool, not the full dress, but with the breastplate and helmet, just so you could go down and do a photo op. But your buddies had to do the pumping of the air. So if you ever do that, make sure you get in the water first. Because when they start horsing around and taking the air away, as you exhale, the water level comes up in the helmet. Now, shallow water, no big deal. Just get out. But uh, we did that. And then if you wanted the full dress, we did that at Barren Lake where you had the canvas shoe, or the canvas suit, brass shoes, the whole thing. But it took a couple of people. Yeah. Well, here they're going at the end of the article. They talk about that they're going to have a work day, which will enable scuba qualified members of the public to have a go at hard hat diving both in a pool and in shallow water at sea. The plan is to stage an event in uh, Tatuka before the end of the year, www.classicdiver.org. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of sites I'm, I like to look at, which is on, it's European, and uh, it's on hard hat sites. And generally when they do their demos like that, they do it on a nice sea wharf, so you've got 20, 30 foot with a crane, so you can actually have the lift put you down and up. Oh, okay. So you actually, it's really good because then you can tend it the right way. You're tending straight down, you put them on the lift, you take them to the bottom, it gets to walk around, do a simple task, come back, and then is brought back up. That makes sense. That is cool. That'd be nice. That's worth, a, that's worth a couple of bucks. Yeah. And it will cost you a couple of bucks. But it's not something everybody has done, and it's cool. Yeah. Get a picture of them. So you Absolutely. got a new Facebook profile picture. 
Yes, you could. And nowadays, you'd probably take the GoPro and put it inside so you're facing out and see oh, all the other guys could. geeking you. Yeah, that'd be nice. And then here we have some human-powered submarine races. They have 100 young people from 11 universities in six countries in the continent taking part in the European International Submarine Races. I, th I thought that was fake. I thought that was just an excuse. Well, no, we did submarine races years and years <laughs> ago, and that was down at the lake. Yeah, yeah, submarine races. Not that I would know anything about that in yeah. my younger years. 20% of the European International Submarine Race participants are women, and the race director says to celebrate the complete equality of the roles of the team, some will have take a very active role in the design of their submarines. So it sounds like they're pushing for women to be more active in the team, which I'm sure for a geek sport like this, you're probably happy to have any women on a team. So it'll be uh, Wednesday, July 9th is when they'll be doing it. That's coming up. Yeah, coming up, not too long. We should look that up to see if we have some news, news coverage for it as a continuation. Yeah, I'll never remember it, but yeah, that'd be good. Well, here, let's go click on the link. European International Subsurface. Underwater Careers. Technology Masterclass and Graduate Fair. Yeah, Career Fairs. Hit some of those pictures down at the bottom there. All right, that's a nice set. Yeah, so we're just talking about Mark V. And yeah, see the old handle driven? Yeah. Rotary pump. The one we used was like, like the old fire pump. Yeah. Two guys on the seesaw going up and down with the bellows. Uh -huh. That's exactly what it was. It's a bellows. No air gauge or anything. The guy so down do below. Do you want the say, rotary or do you want the bellows? This is a this is much better than the because you got the flywheel. So once you get the inertia, yeah, you got in. some inertia in there. It's easier to do. The other one was a pain in the. Mm -hmm. Oh, then they're showing uh, some Russian rebreathers. You can buy those cheap too. What a Russian rebreather? Yes, sir. Do they take the previous diver out of them first, or do you get to keep that? Uh, well, you know how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Clean it up yourself. Yeah, if you get it sent from there, you don't have to go through all this hassle about having training. <laughs> yeah, here, yeah. yeah, here's some uh, yeah, some hard hats outside. Now, I noticed some of them had the big lead weight in the chest plate. Mm -hmm. Press and, plate. And some of them have, I mean, I'm, a, I'm hoping he's got belt or something. Oh, yeah. The, the jock strap, basically. Yeah. And the reason you have that is if you don't, the helmet will come off your head and you'll be down here. <laughs> oh. You want to keep it from getting off your head. Yeah, I, I think that'd be a good idea. I want to be Very breathing. good idea, yeah. Nice rigs. Yeah, it looks like they're showing a little bit more. We'll have to give them the link so they can look up the stuff. Yeah, this is www.subrace.eu forward slash career hyphen fair. So, yeah, it's an interesting website. The Race. Let's see, they show the teams. And I'm not pronouncing any of them. We got one from uh, University of Michigan, team number five. Odyssey. Well, you recognize the name? No, but it's I could pronounce it. You could speak pronounce it, Well, I think I could do Omer 9 from Canada, even though I can't name. I'm, I'm betting that's from Montreal. Just by the by the well, university name. Well, university of Warwick in Great Britain. That's Shakespeare. I can do that one. Uh, hey, we can almost do all of these except the Canadian one here. Schnicky Chucker or something. <laughs> yeah, it looks like some. It's like a horror movie villain. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, university of Plymouth, the Mayflower. Hopefully, the Mayflower floated when it came over. Uh, yeah. So uh, Southampton. That's got to be when it's Roger. It has to be an acronym for something. Yeah. Maybe the first letter of all the people. Yeah. So the the following teams confirmed they'll participate in the competition. So they got twelve, and then they've got the waiting list. So there must be only twelve spots. Oh, okay. And then everybody else is on the waiting list. Hmm. Let's see, who are the sponsors for 2012? Why don't they have a new, a new uh, sponsor list? Rolls-Royce, Teledyne. James Fisher Defense. I wonder if that's uh, anything related to Fisher uh, Corporation. I don't know. Sounds like it could be related, yeah. just going off the name. And then 
for some more potentially cool scuba gear, we have the fashion that's going to be hitting in spring 2015. It's now being shown in Paris. It's the excuse to take a male model and eye candy, according to the article. I don't necessarily go with them, but it is the tuxedo wetsuit. Uh, and I guess the idea is with all the weddings underwater, you know, why not have the groom in a tuxedo? Doesn't do much for me. That looks like a taxi cab driver there. <laughs> yeah, there's there jockey. He did he did more than one tuxedo. That's a little different. You'd certainly stand out in the crowd on that one. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like, like checkerboard patterns on your arms and legs. Yeah, it's like uh, maybe he's a jockey. He's got more than these guys. Yeah, one point. Uh, it is for a guy who wants to show off his body. Excuse me. I, I don't get that. They haven't obviously seen most men in wetsuits. <laughs> it's not not a lot of body showing off happening. Yeah, their their face and their hand. That's about to. I, I think the model in that last picture kind of tells the whole story. He looks like I can't believe they put me in this. Yeah, and I'm sweating to death under these lights. Oh, he's probably probably about 400 degrees. So I, I take it, Mac, you're not going to be up for the tuxedo wetsuit. Uh it was hard enough to get you in a bulky dry suit. Those are tailored. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, that does it for Scuba News this week. God, that was fast. Yeah, we ripped through that. Yeah, we're, we're let's see, where are we at in the show? We are, hard to believe it's been 40 minutes. That's true. Yeah, time flies when you're gabbing. Yeah, when you're having a good BS session, it goes really fast. Yeah. Well, we'll make up for it with a really long scuba joke. All we need is uh, some beers and stuff, though, if we're going to be, you know, yeah. like when they're at the, at, the, at the local tavern and yeah. talking all our diving days and what we found well, and didn't find. And yeah. Well, let's let's talk about diving. Uh, now, you missed last week's show, so what, what diving have you done in the last two weeks? I have lost track. <laughs> you lost track. So, mudclub.scubaobsessed.com, you can see Max exploits. Actually, I'm not posting very many of those anymore. Oh. And the reason being is, I keep telling the guys to give me your pictures, tell me what you do, and I'll put it on the site. Doesn't Kevin Nobody give me does. Any? Kevin so doesn't I give don't. me photos? No, they go to Facebook, and you'll find a lot more than you will on the club site, because people just post on Facebook. So I'll have to teach you how to steal them from Facebook. I, the guys can send it to me, I'll put them on there. But oh, goodness. Since they don't, it was always like, Mac goes scuba diving. It's like, I quit that now. Well, I gotta live, I, I'm all us working guys who don't get to go out we that's the only way we get to dive during the week i only got five okay. dives in so far this week come on give me some slack it's only thursday yeah, i actually got in a double dive yesterday yeah yesterday a double dive for no, when you say double dive how Two many tacks. hours is a double dive actually i was getting uh, well i'm shallow you got to remember that and i'm yeah. grubbing a conservative manner I probably four hours. Four hours on two tanks. Yeah. So yeah, you get some bottom time going, and that counts. I've heard some people will whine saying that we're too shallow and we're grubbing the the count, but to me, you well, still if, can't breathe if you take that regular out of your mouth. It counts. Well, if if you uh, fill the tank up a little heavier too, I've been doing thirty five. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud. Did no, I? no, no. Of course, they're properly hydroed for the yes, they are extra. I pressure test them every week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hadn't had my pressure just blow yet but i've been doing a lot of work out there at pawpaw um did that we did the program or did you mention that last week we did mention it last week but uh how did you think that went uh i got some good feedback from people afterwards uh some wanted me to dive ponds which i said what kind of pond because same hazards yeah you got a lot of chemicals and a lot of small ponds well and the thing is I know firsthand from working with, well, working on farms that 
you know that uh, grape field we just took out, which had all that high tensile, you know, eight gauge wire that mm. held the grapes up. You know what? We really don't want that, and it really doesn't compact real well. You know, and the wife's going to complain if I leave it in a pile. I'm pushing it in the pond. Yeah, and you stumble into that into um, with lots of weeds and lily pads, and all of a sudden you're intertwined in the steel mesh, and that's a real pain to get out of well, and or surface. Let me yeah. clue you. Yeah, you, 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 I mean, if you, like, say you just walked in from the side, and the ponds, like, when, when you see a lot of ponds on farmland, at least around here, that's dug, they dug that for a reason. And a lot of times it was to get drainage, so they dug it really deep. And the side goes from one foot from the shore, could be 20 feet deep. Yeah. And that's, you know, they're not, many times they're not natural ponds. They were trying to dry up swamps and stuff. And if you walked in underneath that wire, I mean, you, you, I mean, it would take, you'd have to take a torch to get out. Which I, I have been on some quarries and, you know, one side's alive, the other side quarry's dead. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, why is that? Because that's the one that's got all those 50-gallon drums are over there rusted through. <laughs> and you will find coils of, of uh, rebar wire or the wire you put down in concrete mm-hmm. that has been dumped there. And all you're waiting for is that, that band that keeps it from unspooling. Mm-hmm. You hope the rest of it rusts before that lever or that little turn. So all the rust takes the tension out of the wire. Yeah, because when it goes kaboom and you happen to be there, you're in a world of hurt. Yeah. I've also seen farm implements, plows, combine stuff pushing in the farm ponds. I never told you about that. Job I had, a golf course wanted me to come out there and help them retrieve their ball catcher. Okay. Did I tell you about that one? It seemed like I remember something. They're they're a little expensive and they they drag them with a tractor. They drag it through the pond thinking that would be good because it's only 16 foot deep they thought uh, it appeared that whenever it disappeared into the hole at the bottom that was 30 feet and then continued down it's like we didn't know it was that deep what's under there i don't think i was going to go there and find out for them because <laughs> it would have cost them more to retrieve it than it did to buy it but it was intriguing to know they had some kind of cavern under the bottom that they didn't know about Hmm. Now, that is interesting. Now, Not could, enough for me to go there and f- check it out. Well, could they have created their own sinkhole? Yes, and that's what I think it was, because it's initially how it did it, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it was at least twice what they thought it was, depth-wise. Yeah, because a lot of times what you'll do with ponds is you create, you put pipe in, and then you have that overflow. So you've got, like, when the, the pond reaches a certain level, then outflow happens. So if as you're moving water between these ponds, who knows what kind of currents or suction or things that are happening well well singer lakes a perfect example they've got you've got a culvert that runs in the bottom of singer lake and drains into that little creek and they've always got the rumor that you got a hole that goes from that all the way over to hess lake well yeah i think yeah. well i know you can disappear into the bottom there because i've done it <laughs> and it's like then your regulator quits and then you come up Hopefully come up. Yeah. I don't like to go about where you have really good artesian wells because mm-hmm. you get the force coming out, but you got to remember you got a section that goes back down. Yeah, because it's, it's kind of like you got that venturi effect. Uh-huh. So it's like, how big a hole do you want to have before you have an appendage that sort of gets sucked into it? Well, I've seen natural artesian wells coming up just out of the ground, and you've always got that kind of like little explosion of silt and sand wow. happening, and those are small ones. So I just imagine different sizes that you've got going yeah. uh, so you said so they they wanted you to, to dive in some ponds anybody give you any good you know, any more house sightings or i got uh two individuals who said i could dive off their property which is what i'm looking for is access yeah. uh, one i can't use because it's in the channel oh because you shut down boat traffic unless you dive in the winter yeah. which well i done. mean yeah we could do that i mean we did the the dog search yep yep and they did find you, you yeah we remember that right, yep. they found the dog 
And uh, one's a different place I hope to get there. Okay. And then I uh, talked to Mr. Scrupa today. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, he got his little pontoon boat all ready to roll. So we were, <clears throat> excuse me, talking about going out there so I can do some searching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a hit on a slope I haven't been on yet. And I normally don't go that far down because I run out of air. And my kayak's a pain in the butt to paddle that far. Okay. So I want to check it because it's timbers like we have up in Duncan Bay. Yeah. So it's either timbers, and I want to check out why there's so many there, or it's got to be part of a wreck or a pier or a house. Okay. I'm really, and it, it drops off really good down to about 40 foot. So I'm really curious to see what the heck is on the slope. Oh, and it's on the slope. Yeah, yeah. So that tells you that it's something had to place well, it there. Out of sight, out of mind. You want to get rid of something? Put it in the water and take it to the slope and drop it. Well, also you've got trees. People maybe you know want to. You have a tree that's eroding away, and they just push it over because it's blocking. So. It's still amazing how much really good-looking wood you find down there. I mean, you're talking what? That's what eight, eight or ten by ten. Yeah. I mean, it's like almost like railroad ties, except twice as big. And you wonder how it got out in the middle of the freaking lake. You know, then, of course, you find out the rowboats and the steel boats, and you always check those out for motors, anchors, and chains. Mm-hmm. But uh, weed lines are up. Visibility is still two to three feet. Yeah. If you were scared of something biting you, you would probably be a little leery. But uh, it's sort of fun. Found some stuff? Yes. A few bottles? You, I noticed every, you're getting a milk bottle just about every time now. That, that I had been to the museum, and she would said, uh, if I find any other milk bottles from either Cloma or the Valide area, or even a little further out here, you know, because they got a museum part there milking, and they put a lot of my bottles in that. I happened to go out that same afternoon after I talked to, to her, and I found that perfect stencil bottle, three cents deposit on the bottle, just, and, and it was clean. And very readable. Yeah, normally yeah, they're, like, what normally the they're etched and half the silk screens rubbed off or... Yeah, that was... Uh, and so what she asked for, I found a perfect example of it. Geez. It's like... I, you weren't in the then, garage And a nice Hutchie, one. too. The same thing. I got a Texas Hutchie. Now, the, hist- yeah, uh-huh. the history of that one, where did that come from? I mean, well, obviously it came from Texas. To Back in the day, all the way up to Benton Harbor, to St. Joe, to Paw Paw. Well, and then... Somebody threw it in there. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, they were they were out in the water in a boat or on the shore and threw it out. Yeah. I mean, but that's the furthest away bottle I found. Most of them are Benton Harbor, St. Joe, Niles. But to find one from Texas was just freaking outstanding. Let's see. Found another head. That was the, <laughs> not a human head. Okay. But you saw that picture? No. It was a top hat with a guy's face. Oh, okay. And it was part of a, some kind of dummy or something. So you have this face looking at you in the bottom. It's like, okay, that's a little weird. <laughs> But yeah, and I think the best thing was that prop the other that stainless steel one. That was yeah, a keeper that, there. That looked nice. Yeah. Some somebody was upset when that one went off the boat. I looked that up and it was four hundred and eighty bucks used for scrap. Yeah. I took it down to Wolf's today so what I could trade it for and I a hundred. They said a hundred, hundred and a quarter for trade in because they still got to get it, you know, dressed. Yeah, it it did. I mean, it wasn't pristine. Uh, I cleaned it after I took that picture. Oh, okay. That stainless steel came out really nice. Wow. Yeah, but and even, the, and the know, guy said he hit something and lost it, is what I understand. He didn't hit nothing. The splines are good. That The knockoff nut, he didn't lock it. And that came off That's because everything else is perfect. There's yeah. no damage. So how do you, but, so you know whose it was? Well, I came up and I got it in the basket and the kids are on the piers as I'm passing. Well, that's a nice looking prop. You know, because one's a teenager. Right. Yeah, the neighbor over here, he lost one last year. He said he hit something and it just came off. Yeah. yeah. What did you hit in 15 foot of water? Well, and then also, did it look like it had only been down a year? 
Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, Maybe. I mean, the only the only blade that had anything on it was the one that was stuck in. Uh-huh. The rest was loose pack. Huh? But if I hadn't have been riding, I'd have never found it. Yeah. Well, tell him he can pick it up at Wolf's Marine for was, about three hundred dollars. I was thinking about going to his house. But the other nice part is um, people to the side of the docking area, the private uh-huh. property. A guy was out. He came over. It. You know, what did I find? Showed him some bottles. And um, he used to do dump diving in Chicago years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was really wow. This is pretty neat because it had the embossing on it, and on the back the big letters, not for resale. Yeah. And uh, he said this got to be one of those prohibition bottles. So he was interested in that, and then he started showing me some of the stuff. They're fourth generation. They were there in 1850. Oh, his family was? Yeah, or, well, he married into the, the Oh, family. okay. So the lady came out, and was, she brought out, when they got to the house, he found a phone book, and then it was a, a sheet of paper from the Paw Lake Yacht Club, 1948, with all the people who were grandmasters and the old fogies. Mm-hmm. And one of his relatives was on that, and then he brought out the trophy. The first year they put trophies out for boat racing, and the picture of her father and grandfather in the boat, wooden, uh-huh. the old really nice mahogany boats that they were in when they won the trophy. Nice. Yeah, a lot of history. It was, it was yeah. really interesting. Yeah, a lot of these lakes. I mean, this is where you know people didn't fly out to Aspen or go down to Florida. You went, you know, if you were in Chicago, you had a summer place in, in Michigan. Yeah, it took you 8 to 12 hours to get here, almost yeah. like today. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. Traffic. Yeah. Yeah, you had everybody on a two-lane highway, and then every two miles you had a little stand of knickknacks that would try and sell you stuff, souvenirs. Yeah, but for 25 years, Paw Paw Lake was the place to go. And then you figure after World War One yeah. and the Depression, yeah. and everybody had cars, everybody started venturing out further, yeah. and you, that's when you had the downside. Yeah, because you had uh, Paw Paw Lake, uh, Diamond Lake was another one, uh, Lake Manitowa. Yeah. Oh, speaking of that, we didn't talk about the scuba in the news. Uh, Jim Soltz's son, the boat that he was on, Ooh, woo. 220 feet. Oh, do you know what that rents for per day or for a week? No, how much? 750000 a week. $750,000 a week. You can ride in this boat. It looked like a, it's six a decks. cruise line. It's six, six decks. decks. Wow. It, it's, uh, I think it was 28 crew. Yeah. And it it's set for 12 passengers. Obviously in luxury because it's got the helicopter deck. Yeah, it had a helicopter deck. But 750000 a week. One of my, they, they, they were talking to uh, the owner of one of my grandfather's old boat yards, uh, Eldine's. And uh, they couldn't bring the boat in because they, if they had berthed it, it would have blocked the, the channel. channel. <laughs> but that's that's a beautiful boat. I'd oh. love to go on it, take a look at it. Yeah, they and I don't know where you could they could dock the thing on this. Could it have tied up along the pier in Chicago? No, here in uh, like St. Joe or something. Could oh, you? Done I don't it? think so. That's too big. Where, I, mean, it, I wouldn't want to bring it in the harbor. No, I'm not even talking about harbor. I mean, just like pull up to the lighthouse. I don't think you could. I mean, he said the draft on it they were saying was twelve feet. Well, they could do that, but yeah, yeah, you probably wouldn't want to scrape the bottom. That would be a little hard to turn around in there too. You'd be like those cargo ships. Well, I'm saying stay on the outside. Yeah, yeah, get to the the turning basin. Yeah, well, well, Chicago. I'm at Chicago uh, Saugatuck. They've they've got it because they were that's where they were were outside of the pier at Saugatuck. But there's a turning basin there. But I don't think it's that deep. I think the turning basins used to be when they dredged it. It used to be deep, but now I think it's down to four or five feet. Yeah, but anyway, I thought I thought somebody said the boat was a hundred million. I believe it. Easy. 220-foot boat. I mean, you look at, like, the USS Silverside submarine. I mean, it's longer than that. Like you said, I wonder what the fuel burn is from here to the med, because that's where they're going. Yeah. How much does fuel alone? I don't know if that's included in that 750000 either. Yeah, with the fuel surcharge. <laughs> 
I mean, the only person who can afford that is if you're like you're recording a rock video or. But you think it has to be a heck of a lot cheaper than actually buying the boat in the and first place. And maintaining it, yeah. Yeah, if you just want it for a week. But the problem is that you'd have to. You want to say where you want to rent it. I mean, do you, you know do you? So you have to figure out where it's going and say, oh, when you're between here and here, that's when I want to rent it. And you come out with a helicopter to go land on it, to go... I've seen the ones they do in the med for the people, the ultra-rich. Uh-huh. That's not an unusual occurrence is to rent boats like that for a week or two weeks, and they cruise through the med. Yeah. Now, I, can, I can't even envision having that much money that you can just do that for two weeks and cruise the med. Well, I mean, if you're a billionaire, yeah. I mean, that's not even... I mean, that's probably getting, it's probably less a percentage of their income or wealth than it is for us to go to Disney for a week. Well, it would have to be. Otherwise, <laughs> how could you afford a $100 million boat and then the maintenance and upkeep? Yeah. You have to be a billionaire. Well, and then you've heard the, the rumors about the guys who own the boat, like, uh, what was it, the was it Paul Allison or Larry Ellison, uh, you know, they where they'll pull into a port and somebody have a boat bigger, and then as soon as they're yeah. done, they're sending it to the shipyard to have it lengthen 20 meters or, or something. Mine's bigger than yours. I I just don't understand that. Compensating for something. I don't know. If I had money like that, I I would turn it over to. I mean, however I earned my money, I said, "Give me this much. You guys take care of the company. I'm going to go play." Mm -hmm. I'd be out there shipwreck hunting all there is. Oh man. See, that's what we need. We need. If you're a rich person and you want to shipwreck hunt, yeah, you come over here. By God, you can find a whole bunch of stuff. We'll name them after you. You can name anything you want. You just (laughs) let me go out there and hunt them for you. Yeah. Well, that's when I saw the boat. It was like a... Is that yours or mine? I don't know. Oh. Uh, home, home phone? Well, I was hoping somebody else would pick that up. And they obviously did. Oh. Yeah, I saw that boat. I'm like, well, you know, can't we talk the owner of that into uh, into sponsoring a, a dredge or something? <laughs> Heck, he, dro- he, he flushes his bilge tanks. He probably could dredge a channel. I don't know. That's... Money is not everything, but I sure as hell like to try. <laughs> <laughs> give it a, give, we'll give it a shot. Good thing you can knock out these dead spots. Of course, we 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 edit all the ringy dingies out. Well, I did get a dive in last week. Yes, you did. For, first time surprise, on surprise uh, and yeah, in first a dry time suit. on it was in a dry suit, but first time on Bob's boat since he had the uh, did his modifications to it. He added a stand up chair and console and a zodiac. Well, it was nice on there. Let's see who who was on there. We had Kirk went with us, and then there was oh Randy. I think was the other diver. First time I had dove with him, somebody who'd worked with my dad out at the nuclear plant. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, I got the got. Yeah, it was a nice shallow dive. The first one was there on the pier. We were off the south pier, on the lake side. They were, well, you were flying in the plane on the reenactment, strafing the beach, strafing the beach. <laughs> well, there was like everything going on. We had plane they had, doors. They had Bell helicopter was out there. They had. I mean, there was uh, vintage aircraft flying in the air. Yeah, yeah, not yours. Sixes. You had uh, well, mine's vintage too. <laughs> Uh, you had the Iroquois, you had the uh, UB-1. Uh, they actually were given rides in that also. They had a, another bell out there for it. Uh, quite quite a, yeah, an event it, out we, there. We were, we were going to go to the intake first, but with all that activity, they were keeping a lot of boats out of that particular area. So yeah, Something about the amphibious traffic. They, you notice they had 50 calibers on those guys. I saw that. I, I would like. I would, wanted to ask somebody if they were working 50 calibers. Oh, yeah, they are. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, all of those are working. Yeah. 
Yeah, because they had, uh, in the, the jump ahead, not talk about the dive yet, but when we were loading the boat, uh, they were using the same boat ramp we were for the amphibious trips. And they had, some were like a duck, and they had some, one was like a, a 106 or 109 tracked tank mm-hmm. that was in there. And, the, and I think they were just moving on the, the, the treads had like little fins on them. So they're able to move through the water, and it made a racket. You know, you weren't sneaking up on on anybody with one of those. What this is is uh, least we forget, lest we forget, and they did a reenactment of beach invasions. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite authentic. It's all period. Everybody's dressed yeah, there was, in the there appropriate garb. We could see them on the North Pier. You could see people in period wear, and then later when we did get out in the boat and off the beach when they were just wrapping stuff up, you could see them doing some activity on the beach. But uh, yeah, it seemed like I remember as a kid it was all you know Civil War, and now it seems to have moved to World War Two. Oh, great generation war. Yep. But uh, yeah, we're off the South Pier. We we positioned ourselves about middle of the pier. I dropped in. I I uh, I wasn't sure of my weighting, so I threw an extra. I, I probably threw an extra six eight pounds on and went down. I was way way overweighted. Uh, so, uh, but you know, I everything went well. You know, the no leaks, no problems getting the equipment on. I, and actually, I was kind of surprised because I always have problems with uh, a wetsuit of. Uh, getting too hot you know it was it was a warm day and you're getting that web suit and i gotta sometimes jump in the water before i put my weight belt on just to cool off and the only thing i kind of did is i rinsed my hands in the water and splashed a little water on my face and that was enough to keep me cool while i was getting set up and i and we kind of all went in at the same time and i was in the dry suit for you know 10 15 minutes before getting the water and there wasn't any problem so i that was one thing i was worried about the other one was peeing you know there's no i don't have a pee valve and in a wetsuit as soon as i hit the water i gotta go and I could have peed when I got in the water, but uh, better sense got to me and I decided uh, I could hold it for a while. So I was able to make the full dive. We got down. Visibility was pretty decent. We had maybe 15 to 20 feet vis uh, until you got to the end of the pier where the river water met with the lake water. And then it went down real quick. Golf balls everywhere. You went to the dead zone? That's that scallowed out part? There was a, there's there's a couple a of them. depression. Yeah. Well, there's a depression where it's just like it's filled with. It looks like if you're a driftwood collector, yeah, there you you could build a house from driftwood. There was just tons of it, and then golf balls. And I was playing Mac since he wasn't there, <laughs> so I would take golf balls. And they had, there was an orange traffic cone, so I set the golf ball in the traffic cone. And then there was a like a umbrella pole, and I stuck that pointing into it. And then I found a fishing lure, and I stuck it on a plastic fork, and I carried it around so I had a fork and a spoon. And then I stuck it. And then Kirk and I, as we came back, we passed Bob and Randy. And then when Bob came up, he's telling me, oh, I found this golf ball, this cone. and this." <laughs> <laughs> it's like you come down to Paw Paw and it's like, I found a lot of beer cans, but there was always sticks by them and rock by them. <laughs> Yo, did you now? Yeah, it's kind of modern art. Yeah. Uh, but uh, fish, you cannot believe there were there were. We probably saw 50, 60 fish just all hanging around. Good size. You know, it's what fishermen would be looking for. You know, I would say, you know, bass. And it, it kind of reminded me like when we dove on the breakwater. Michigan City breakwater. It mm-hmm. was like it was like that. And what, they they didn't really care. What was the water temperature? Uh, like 70 some. Yeah. Been unusually nice. It was really nice. All, I mean, it was no thermocline. I think I got down to at the end was maybe 19 feet. 
Yeah, right now the thermocline is about 21 feet inland and out there. And then it drops pretty freaking quick. Yeah. So that so we did that dive and everything went fine. Uh, I just, you know, the, you know, the second time I had dove a dry suit. So you know, I put enough air into it. When I got at the end of the dive, I then adjusted my weight. So I'd hand my weight belt up, had somebody pull some weights off. I went back down and I'm actually diving with less weight in the dry suit than I was in my wetsuit. And I and I, I'd like to say I lost body weight, so I was less buoyant, but that is not true. So yeah, I've I've and I probably could remove another two pounds. I'm still overweighted. And that's a Viking too. That's not a neoprene suit. No, it's a Viking. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, because my dry suit, my neoprene one, is the same. It's identical weight as for my regular wet suit. Huh? Yeah, because it's I was I was surprised because I was counting on you know there's six pounds, eight pounds of buoyancy, and uh, no. That's good. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm ha- I'm real happy with that. Uh, so yeah, and I probably could lose another couple pounds on it. Uh, it depends on where I'm diving next. As to I mean, it's it, it, for some reason feeling like a little bit more weight is a little bit more of a secure feeling. But you can always pick up a rock. <laughs> I've done that plenty of times. Well, it, the first time we, it's like I'll get my weight all set out in Lake Michigan throughout the sea the dive season in Lake Michigan, and I'll get it right down to where you know I'm almost I almost have to kick down. Yeah, you know, I'm when I'm at ten feet, I'm too buoyant, but I can kick down. I get to about twenty, and I'm perfect. Yeah. And then what happens? We do the first dive, like we'll do the dive, the club picnic in the river, and I won't be nearly heavy enough. Even adding four or six pounds, I need to add eight or ten to combat the current. But that was the first dive. The second dive, we went to the intake, which we again, I've yet to dive on it. I've anchored next to it and been in the water, but I've yet to find that intake yet. But we got down, and, and we were, I, I, we didn't change tanks. We only brought one tank out, so I only had about 700 pounds of air. Uh, and we went down, and Kurt put out a line, but he was doing these little baby circles around with his line, so we never got far enough to find the intake. And we, we looked like... Uh, worm trails I, I went up before they did and i looked down and i could see this big snail trails of clouds that we were making a mess so yeah we weren't we weren't doing anything too graceful down there and that one we did feel that because that was at 40 some feet and you did it, it was a little more chilly but i was still comfortable i could have dove all day why didn't somebody tell me about this dry suit stuff sooner i feel like i've been cheated <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, and I was worried I wouldn't like it because, yeah, like even Jim Kleeman, he's like, well, I don't know, I might go back to wetsuit because he didn't like how stiff it is. And I didn't find it stiff Viking at all. is not stiff. Viking is nice. Yeah, I, I did not have any problem. To me, it was, it was more rubber band feeling than stiff feeling. Uh, and you don't have the construction uh, the constriction in your arms like you did on a unisuit or some of the tri-lambs. Yeah. You know, you rotate your wrist and you got that resistance I didn't because have of the cuff. Never had that on Viking, yeah. or at least I never did. Yeah, no, I, I didn't have any problem with it with mobility, reaching tank valves, or now I did just because I didn't know where it was at when I first jumped in the water. You know, and then you push all the air in the top of the suit, and you get the Michelin Man thing going. Well, I didn't have my dump. Well, I didn't know. You know, I didn't have the muscle memory yet to where that is. So I'm in there, and then you kind of get the what the heck's going on here? And they're like, "Well, you got to turn it." And then so they had like grab my hand, put it over to the to the valve, and I could adjust it. And then once I adjust, I'm like, "Oh, that's how that works." And it it became natural. And I bent a fingernail back pulling the the because I didn't know how the uh, release mechanism release the valve mechanism worked. It's a brand new release mechanism, stainless steel uh, that they they had redone. And yeah, God, pulled the fingernail back. And I just trimmed them that, that day to try and prevent something like that happening. And that, that hurt. So I, I was injured. No blood, though. No no sharks came after me. Piranhas. 
Don't forget, chicks only dig scars. Scars, yeah. Well, that well, that did scar. Uh, but yeah, it was it was great. I'm 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 all I'm hooked. I'm converted. I now need to get a new set of gloves. I'm gonna get another. I'm gonna get some wetsuit gloves. I I may go to ring system, but I think I'm gonna dive the season out until it gets cold. And then you know, once I get cold, then I'll start upgrading. Oh, it, it's a Viking, and it had the rubber hood, and I I put uh, a seven mil hood over it that's all you need and that was now. fine and it, well and everybody was like oh that's not a real hood it's like well i mean my hair was dry in that hood so yeah it was nice what's nice is when you do that in the winter and you take the suit off and you're dry and the wind chill doesn't freeze your lower part of your anatomy well i have to say that this makes it easier i mean by the time we got in and unloaded the boat the dry suit was dry i mean the outside of it yeah, put in a bag, and I didn't have to hang it up at home. And you didn't pee in it, so you didn't have to wash it. Yeah, I didn't have to wash it, you know, sink to stink or anything. So, yeah, it was it was nice. Just make sure you lube the zipper. Keep them that way. Yeah, I've got this big block of wax. What kind of get the white wax? It's like a clear. Okay, yeah, and it goes on really smooth. I haven't tried to put it on yet. Right. So uh, Now, Kurt recommended that there's like a little, lot of little furry, uh, like, you know, strands, like nylon strands around the zipper. And he said, burn those off. Yes. Get the scent. You just touch it and it'll shrivel up out of the yeah, way. So. Yeah. You don't want them to get caught into the, yeah, get, get, the zipper. Yeah. Otherwise you'll make them hard to zip. Yeah. So that's, I, I'll, I'll do that. And yeah, so I've got the wax. I got talc. Uh, the, I did have a, uh, a challenge between the first dive and the second dive because I took the wrist seals off and the hood off and z- unzipped it. Well, I, I, you know, couldn't get my hands in through the wrist seals. So it was like sucking down and it's like, and you're, you're trying to pull on it, but it's sticking to your wet hand. Yes. And I, you know, of course I don't want to tear a seal the first time. Or the second or ever really. Yeah. I mean, you never do. It's inevitable that it will happen, but in a brand new seals and the way it's got that, I don't know what you call that, that wrist, if it's like a, you know, dolphin nose or something or a bottle. Yeah. Where the, you know, because you got the cone wrist. You got the hangover. So it protects when you put the your ring on it, you mean? It comes over and protects that? No, it does. This doesn't have a ring. It's just at the, because you got the cone, you got the cone seals where mm-hmm. they just taper and there's a certain angle. This, it kind of, it, it kind of, you have like two inches where it's the same diameter and then it narrows down real quick. And then you've got another two inches where it's the really narrow diameter. And if you trim it, you're not changing the diameter until you get way back. So to me, the idea is that you don't want to have to trim it. Yeah. So, and I, and I can't, I didn't bring the talc with me on the boat, but I can't think that I'd want to. I think talc in the water is just going to get wet, isn't it? Well, you dry your wrist off really good and you have a nice, and you don't bring the whole thing. You just make a packet Yeah. with the zippies. That way, if you lose now, could, it, you only lose could, a little Could bit. you use like a soap? A lot of people use the like we do for the mask, yeah, baby the shampoo. Baby put shampoo. that on, slides right over it. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking because once because the dry because I had because I I tried the suit on at home, so I had talked it up, and there's still talc on yeah. for the first dive, and it was fine. But the second no, dive, soap, soap yeah, would be so good. soap would be so good. So use the shampoo, baby shampoo. Yeah, but I'm I'm real happy with it. Real real good condition, dry suit. Uh, cheap person like me, I think I spent less on that dry suit than I would have on a new wetsuit. It's good to get you back in the water. Yeah. Well, I've been doing some diving. I just wasn't looking forward to it as much as normal. So, yeah. And they're going to Ironsides. Yes. This weekend. It sounds like they got three boats going and possibly four if they have to. Yeah. I think they're going back to three because uh, About two people. Two guys had to bail for something. Yeah. But I think that's Saturday, not Sunday. Yeah, it's Saturday. And it's, it's, this will be the first year in a long time I haven't done it. I think Jim Kleeman came with us last year. That was that wasn't his first dive; it was about his third. But he hasn't even gotten the water yet. 
so I'll have to harass them again. Yeah, I've just been concentrating on inland lakes. River is not conducive at this no, point. I mean, no, I've been in it a couple of times, but it's not where we want it. And in the Niles area, it's too fast with limited visibility to go looking because you got too many obstructions. You got too many obstructions, and, they, and, and you've now got new obstructions. So it's right. not like... You don't know the terrain yet. Yeah. So you can't say, well, I know what it's like because it ain't. No. Yeah, it's better to let it down. Hopefully it, it goes in time for our club dive i hope so it was seven, seven miles an hour last week seven seven it was ripping wow so, was so are the kayakers out yeah that's why <laughs> when we had gone it wasn't bad uh and then the week after we had that rain again and they must have let the spillway and the dam open a little bit uh-huh because it was ripping out there yeah they must be trying to keep the levels down in case they have another yeah they rain. had because the freaking river was back up to the well past the dock you know where you stand out it was water between the shore and the dock again well lake michigan on on the pier the water levels up i don't i don't remember seeing the water level this high in lake michigan in a long time and i don't want to say since i've been in this part of the state the last 20 some years i don't remember the water level this high in the pier yeah i haven't done a pier dive this year i haven't bought my ticket i normally buy the you know the summer ticket so i can get in oh for uh yeah for the park i just haven't been out there to dive it Last couple of times I did, though, I did shore dives. I didn't even do the off-the-pier side. Yeah, unless you want some golf balls. I was looking for money last time. Though. I was down there where the well, kids were jumping. I went there and uh, picked up stuff. Yeah, we, we did see some sunglasses, so somebody lost a, some nice sunglasses. But, see, I left everything down. I didn't take the catch bag with me. I was just worried about the dry suit. So That's the way one task at a time with something yeah. new. Yeah, I didn't I didn't want to mess with that. Bob, Bob filled his pockets. He's upset because he couldn't fit a whole uh, dozen golf balls in his pocket. Uh, I think he had like ten, but he's his his what's his dry, his new dry suit. Uh, fourth element is still leaking on him. I know he had to fix the P valve. Well, he 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 thought that it was that there was no check valve in the P valve, so he made a plug for the end. Right. He says he's getting wet in the same spot, and he says it's not from the end. So he thinks that he had a factory installed P valve, and he thinks it's leaking right there where it comes in. You sure he's not taking a, a leak though, right? He claims he's not. Okay. We, we we can't say for sure, but he's well, going to go back. Warm, to... If it's warm, it's probably yeah. <laughs> he was maybe. Is it a cool leak? Well, or we warm? did have the the diaper discussion. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But he. He said that uh, he's going to see what Wolves can do since it's brand new. Uh, what they think is that whoever put the P-valve in. Because you know, I imagine they make the, the dry suit. And his is like kind of like a, almost ended up being custom made. I would think uh, you could fix that. I mean, you could look at it and tell if you got a leak, though. Let's hope. I mean, uh, he says it's come. It's coming from that location. Hmm. So somehow it didn't get the proper testing. Yeah. Well, so I was summer, drier than Bob, which is a first. <laughs> it is summer. It's time to get wet. Not time. It's way past time. Oh, my goodness. And if you're not getting wet right now, the temperature is good. The water is good. We still have good It's not going to get any better than this. Yeah. Well, when we did the intake, the, the visibility probably went down to about seven feet out there, which didn't I didn't think made any sense. Why was it clearer by the pier than it was out in the lake? I don't know. Unless maybe the... Uh, all the amphibious activity the, with the current on the north side slowly to bring it out there to that intake. Could have been. Yeah. I mean, because it really wasn't, I mean, it was just low. I mean, there wasn't anything, there wasn't a lot of particulate that you could see. There wasn't, you know, seeds coming down or anything. It just is not that great of is out there. Yeah. So maybe that's what it was. But yeah, you if you're not out there diving, you, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Jim, Cleveland. Trying to figure out what I was doing out there that week. I missed that one with you guys. Oh, that was a jumping weekend. Duh, that's right. With the one this week? No, the, the when you're, that one I didn't go with you guys. That was a jumping weekend. That's what that was. Oh, when, when we went out to Max Rack? Yeah, that was that was the old uh, yeah. 
Old Jumper's weekend. Yeah. yeah I, I, I'd like to get out and do... A, I think my next dive I want to do is uh, when Jim's doing a Clay Banks dive. Get on there. And I was looking at... Is there a reason why for Max Rec we don't got a new Buffalo? On the map, it seems like that might be a slight bit quicker. Waco would be your best. Well, yeah, if you could get out... I mean, Waco's a but, straight freaking shot. Well, Waco would be good. And about the only one you may have a chance might be Bob's Boat. I was saying, I don't know. If I were Bob, I'd be taking that. I would, but you'd he, not with his vehicle. He no. needs he needs something because what what we're talking about for those who don't know is you've got ports. So St. Joe's got a pier and a port. New Buffalo's got it's not nearly as nice as a port, but you still have a channel where the river comes out. Uh, but Waco is a beach like smack dab between those two ports. And what they do is they put a they roll out a plastic mat where it's like plastic slats that lay in the sand. And if you've got a small fishing boat, like a 14-foot boat that you pull with your car, you can back down these slats into the surf, the waves, and the boat can go off, and then you you park your vehicle in the parking lot, and then when you get done, you reverse the process. But you can't take a boat like Jim's Get Wet, or Jim Kleeman's boat is too big for that. But a Zodiac would be perfect one like Bob's got, but you have to have or, something that can handle slipping a little bit in the sand. If there's a little water on that ramp, it makes it slippery. Yeah. Four-wheel drive is a necessity. Four-wheel drive with the proper rubber on the... And clearance. And clearance, yeah. And you want to do it in a day where there's no risk of, you know, d- probably do a practice. Do it before the, the season gets going. Do it like April where there's not a bunch of people around gawking at you as you're trying it. And, yeah, and you don't want to have it when you got three-foot seas. Yeah. Or waves. Yeah. Yeah, because that'd be pretty bad. You could beach it. But that would be, I mean, that would make it quicker for that part of the lake. Because I've got maps which show wrecks. I've got a map I was looking at the other day. It's actually, it's on my tablet, uh, a navigation. And it shows wrecks that I probably haven't dove. They're probably just rubble wrecks that had long forgotten. But they're showing on the charts. You got the David Dallas that everybody used to dive. I was a five-mast schooner. Nobody dives it anymore because it's hard to find anymore. And it was shallow. You're mm-hmm. talking less than 30 feet, you know. Uh, it, there was a good number of people used to dive and they don't do it anymore. Yeah. But, though, I mean, but for somebody like me or Jim Kleeman, we haven't we haven't dove that yet. So maybe worth trying to rediscover some of those wrecks. Well, you got to come up north for Sheboygan. Sheboygan. That's the wreck. That's the wreck week. Hopefully we'll be able to do some Sheboygan diving this year. I'm, I mean, if I'm, nothing else, you'll be having your first steel hull freighter. Yeah. That is uh, that's a lot of ship. A lot of dives, a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. I, I may be able to do Sheboygan this year. I'm, I'm not sure. Depends what's all going on. But it's been a few years since I've been up to Sheboygan, at least two or three. Let's see. We got anything to plug? You can always go to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Also, the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. On Twitter, at scubaobsessed. If you have comments for the show, you can leave them at the show at scubaobsessed.com. Or we love those five-star reviews. Go to iTunes. And I didn't check this week, so uh, we'll take a look next week. And if we've got any reviews, we'll read them on the air. See, back then, you didn't, you didn't, did you hear about the review last time? Nope, I had not. Let me see. Maybe we'll just highlight the Mac portion of the review. I may have deleted it already on my notes. So let's, let's hear, uh, uh, everybody will have this exciting radio as I go and, and look for Scoob Obsessed on iTunes. Also on Stitcher Smart Radio. And we'd like to thank uh, Reno Viola of WRVO Radio for having us on the air. 
Well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to read this one because it might go to Mike's head. I was looking for the iTunes thing because I thought we'd put that in here. Yeah. I don't know where it's at. Okay, and so here's the part that he didn't hear. Mac, his co-host, brings all the talent and experience of a diver who seems to have made the least a greater part of his living underwater. Ask a diving-related question Mac probably knows. Occasionally, Mac needs to get reined in as he also gets sidetracked on political topics. Not that I disagree with him. I don't. But a first-time listener might think they've just turned to the Fox News radio network. Mac sometimes think, seems to have a hard time to figure out how talk show works and is often dropped or stepped on by the other hosts. Mac, how about spending a little time telling us about your plane, make, and model, where it is hangered, also about some of your skydive stories. So that was uh, uh, his uh, Lee R. Clark's comments on Mac. So thank you. That's why we love those five-star reviews. And I think it puts us to that time of the show. Oh, no, not that time. Yep. And all we promise is that they are bad. <laughs> we aim to please. Yeah. So you ready? Ever, ever ready. Here we go. There was this tramp. One cold winter's morning, he was walking around the country road, wearing a cry from help from a nearby lake. Without a moment's hesitation, he ran out and the ice slipped and slid all over to a little girl. He managed to pull her out without breaking the ice further and carried her back to the road. He took off his coat and wrapped her in it and began looking for a car to flag down. Coincidentally, the, the father drives up. How can I ever thank you, sir, he says, putting his daughter into the warmth of the limo. Just name your price. I'm a wealthy man. Ah, well, stammers the tramp. Um, I'm a little short of cash. Perhaps you could help me out. Oh, dear, says the father. I don't carry much cash with me. I only have 10 pounds. But here, come home with me and I'll get you more from the safe. No, no, says the tramp. 10 pounds is more than I've seen my whole life. That'll be plenty. 10 pounds, says 10 pounds, thinks the tramp. I'm rich, I'm rich. And off he goes to town to buy himself a holiday. He finds a travel agent, walks in, much to disgust to the staff. He walks up to the desk. I'll have one holiday, please. Um, which holiday would you like, sir? Asked the girl at the desk, forcing a smile. Oh, a holiday, I don't know. Anything for ten pounds, replies the tramp. Ten pounds? You'll never get a holiday for ten pounds, says the girl incredulously. She goes in the back of the shop and searches in the deepest, dustiest file drawer she can find. There, to her amazement, she finds an old file. Well, you'll never believe it, she says to the tramp back in the shop. I've got you a holiday. It's a super-duper economy class, round-the-world cruise, and it costs ten pounds. Yippee, exclaims the tramp. I'll take it. A few days later, he arrives at the port, and there at the dock is the most beautiful, most elaborately decorated, most expensive-looking ocean-going liner he's ever seen. Get off my ship, you dirty bum, shouts a voice. It's the irate captain as he storms down the gangplank, kicks the tramp into the dockside. But I've got a ticket, responds the tramp. I want on. Well, okay, says the captain, but you can't come on just now. I don't want my first-class passenger seeing you. Come back at midnight when it's dark and I'll let you on then. So the tramp finds himself a quiet spot among some cargo cases on the dockside and he falls asleep. Psst, says a voice walking up without a start. It was the captain. Hurry up, it's midnight. Let's get you into your cabin. The tramp toddles after the captain alongside the dock up the gangway onto the ship. And what a ship. First, they went down to first-class level. Oriental carpets, six-inch pile, genuine Rembrandt in every wall. Leave your shoes outside for cleaning, and the stewards will bring you a new pair. 24-karat gold trim everywhere. Then to the second class. As above, but perhaps the carpets were only three-inch deep, and so on. Third, fourth, fifth class. Down past the casinos, the ballrooms, through the cruise quarters, down through the galleys and the engine rooms. Until finally, the lowest point of the ship against the very hull, the captain opens a watertight door to a tiny seven-foot by four-foot cabin with a hammock, a bedside table, and alarm clock. Sheer luxury, exclaims the tramp. A room of my very own. I'm glad you like it, replies the captain. But there's one more thing. Your ticket only allows for you to use facilities on the ship at night when all other passengers are asleep. So that's what the alarm clock is for. Enjoy your cruise. Well, the cruise begins, the tramp 
had a whale of a time, sleeping by day, up on deck at night. He loved it. One-man tennis, clay pigeon shooting, more food than he'd ever seen. Then one morning, a week or two into the cruise, the tramp decides he'll have to go for the diving board, the pool. He has just enough time for one dive before he has to go below. He climbs up the ladder, steps on the board, bounced and dive. And what a dive! Perfectly poised in the air, hit the water without so much as a ripple. Now unknown to him, the captain, who had grown rather fond of the old tramp, was standing watching this. That was amazing, exclaimed the captain. Where did you learn to dive like that? Um, well, I've never actually dove before, replied the tramp. Well, that's incredible, said the captain. I've never seen, he broke off. Hey, I have an idea. He started again. How would you like to train a bit? And we'll put on a show for the other passengers. It's a deal, says our man. After three weeks, the tramp practices and he's like he's never practiced before. Back flips, front flips, triple back sideways, axle dives, you name it, he tried it. Then one morning, the captain comes to talk. He says, okay, I'd like you to stay in your cabin for the next two days. We're going to erect a high diving board for you. Okay, agrees the tramp. Two days passed and the big day arrives. The ship was humming with excitement. Everybody wanted to see the mystery diver. The captain had provided the tramp with a new pair of swimming trunks and he wore these as he stepped out onto the sun-beaten deck. Gasped with astonishment from the crowd and a hushed awe. Higher than the eye could see, towering up and up, rose a slender column of metal. Well, tramp, said the captain, shaking his hand. Let's see what you can do. With that, the captain handed him a walkie-talkie and the tramp began to climb up and up. Below him, the ship grew smaller. He passed a solitary albatross, still climbed higher until the ship was just a speck in the ocean below, and still further until he reached the board. He climbed the top and radioed the captain, and then he jumped. Slowly at first, but speeding up faster and faster, he could see the ship, tiny in the distance, hurtling down at him. He poised, ready for the final 500 feet. Down on the ship, the crew strained their neck. I can see him, yelled the passenger. Look, the passenger streaked. The tramp streaked towards the pool, did his last triple flip, and dove. Not a ripple on the surface. Down to the water. Smash through the pool bottom. Smash through the first deck. Through the second deck, through the cruise quarters, through the engine room, smashing through his own little cabin, and down through the double strength hull of the ship, still deeper and deeper into the murky depths, until he smashed into the seabed, 37-foot shaft into the process. Despite desperate for air, he struggled out of the shaft, his lungs bursting, he swam frantically for the surface, out of the water, up, up the ladder, onto the deck of the ship, into a throng wild with acclaim. Handing him a heated towel, the captain spoke, and a hush fell over the crowd. Well, I've never seen anything like that, ever. That was stupendous piece of diving I had ever seen. The tramp blushed. The captain went on. But tell me, most amazing is all you survived, smashing through the boat. After you dived, how'd you do it? The tramp looked at the captain, and the crowd replied modestly. Well, you see, I'm just a poor tramp, so you'll understand. I've been through many hardship in my life. <laughs> to think about that one for about a second. <laughs> I was going to need to take a break. I had to go to the bathroom, maybe get a, the, some coffee, tea, beer. That's a good story, though. <laughs> I think that's also the longest one we've had. I think that's a record. That one was from one of our listeners. Yay for the listener. And uh, we'll probably have another one next week. Oh, it's nice to have a participant. Yeah, I appreciate not having to look them up. Yeah, and we can blame it on somebody else. <laughs> yeah, it's not my fault. <laughs> I, I liked it anyway. I still like it. So until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe.